0: And welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. As we continue on today's program, we spend some time focusing on a part of the world that is filled with some of the most mystery and intrigue, particularly for overseas travelers that have ever been there. You know that the sights, the sounds, the noises, the the places certainly capture and tend to cater to absolutely every one of the senses. That said, this part of the world also has one of the fastest growing populations, The fastest-growing economies, and the fastest-growing branches of the Church. We're talking, of course, about the continent of India, and joining me today in studio, who is here on behalf of our friends at Mission India, we are so delighted and pleased to have Pastor Sam with us today, and Pastor Sam, welcome, good
2: to see you. Thank you, Craig. It's my pleasure to be here in your studio today.
0: We hear so much about India in the news these days, sometimes about politics, sometimes about the skirmishes and challenges taking place in some of the neighboring states, places like Kashmir, certainly Pakistan, Uh, certainly much in the news to talk about India as kind of the, the other Silicon Valley, the other major computer hub of the world. But aside from the political questions, the economic questions, the growth that's taking place in India today, there's that other big, important part of the story that I think my listeners in particular are really interested in and concerned about, and that is what God is doing in India today, the growth of the church there. Tell us what's happening.
2: Well, Craig, uh, India is a country with a lot of paradoxes. You have extremely rich. There are extremely poor extremely educated, extremely illiterate, extremely religious, extremely forgotten. This dichotomy, you know, goes on and on in every sector. You talk about politics, economics, social structure, and of course, in the church. There are big churches and we praise God for them. But at the same time, in 1.2 billion people in our country today, only 3.7 know the name of Jesus Christ and the churches in cities by and large in every part of the country you have a big churches which are called the mainline churches mainline denominations they're more bogged down with a kind of a, a, a work within the compound walls of the church and the Great Commission work has not been taken seriously so far that is one of the main reason why we are unable to reach the unreached Unengaged people groups in our country there are four four thousand six hundred thirty five different people groups in our country. out of that, only thousand of them are reached today so when you talk about
0: the composite of what the the ten forty window looks like, the whole mm-hmm. missions opportunity window for the world today. There's probably no better example of the need in terms of the variety of languages and people groups and physical geographical territory and religions than India today. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if India is a microcosm of the the world
2: missions picture you're right. Uh, there are people who speak sixteen hundred different languages and dialects in our country Wow. And uh, Bible is very closely translated to translated into 100 languages, not more than that. And there is a great opportunity now today because doors are wide open for the gospel, even though there are persecutions, animosity. You know, there are oppositions, there are kind of state laid laws of anti-conversion laws and so on and so forth. That's the one side of the story. But the other side we see the spirit of the Lord is speaking, uh, sweeping over the country uh, more vibrantly than ever before. You know, people are seeking for truth. For years of their struggle and efforts for finding who's a real God today, people are trying to come to a point, okay, he is a, Jesus Christ is a real, true living God. You know, Pastor
0: Sam, the Scripture tells us about the places in which the seeds can be sown, and they can go into rocky soil and really not produce much, or sand, not much. They can also go into fertile soil and then bear forth a strong tree with much good fruit. It it strikes me, given the degree of religiosity, we'll call it, of, of India, Uh, Hinduism, of course, the predominant religion there, though we Mm -hmm. see a lot of influence of Islam, particularly toward the north. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it can singularly be said of India, one thing for sure, there's a tremendous spiritual hunger amongst the Indian people, isn't there? There
2: is. Um, If you, I mean, since you made a mention of uh, the Hinduism there, you know, uh, we have uh, 300 million gods and goddesses and a lot of gurus moments, you know. Um not only Indians, you know, the Indian religiosity attracts even the other country people, you know, coming to India to learn about the culture, religion and so on and so forth. And uh, Hindus, you know, they are very, very religious. As you rightly said, they have a deep passion to know the truth, deep passion to know God. And uh, in search of that, they go from place to place temple to temple, God after God. But at the end of the day, do they have a hope? Do they have a love? Do they have uh, accomplished what they're uh, seeking for? The answer is no. Mm. So there is a kind of a disappointment, kind of a frustration. You know, um, that... Uh, prevails in, in the minds of the people.
0: Well, if you're constantly seeking a God that cannot be found, or constantly trying to appease God, or to not make God angry at you, or jealous, you can readily understand why there's such a tremendous sense of a lack of fulfillment or satisfaction. I, I, I The contrast in my first trip into India and going into a Hindu temple and seeing the priests there oftentimes wearing robes and with uh, paint on their faces and ringing bells and engaging in incantations and the burning of incense and the lighting of candles and all of this. And I, I was struck by the knowledge that man is working awfully hard to try and appease God and reach God. But there's a stark contrast between that sense of man trying to reach up to God and the message of Jesus Christ. We were talking a bit about this off the air. Elaborate on that point, would you, particularly in terms of how you go about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with this unknown God, the God of Isaac and Jacob and
2: Abraham. Uh, there is a lot of... Uh, um, see, one side we talk about the religiosity and the passion you know, to know God, reach God, appease God, and the other side... You know, uh, we find what the what the Bible says, why, what Bible talks about it. You know, um, it's not me going and seeking God. Instead, in the Bible, we find that you know God is seeking the lost. The Bible says He has come to the seek the lost, and um, it's not God demanding from me something; it is me demanding. God, mm. you know, those are the things that, you know, um, uh, are the points where, you know, um, people come in contact with. OK, I think here is a God who's seeking for me. The image of the shepherd leaving the ninety nine. L- leaving sheep the ninety nine. And, you know, to find the one one. You know, that is something. It's not me giving sacrifice. He has sacrificed for me. It's not me doing bloodshed. It is he who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. So some of these things, you know, and uh, the one important thing, Craig, here, a lot of them, they don't understand how, how does this beautiful creation has come into existence because there is no mention of the beginning of the world. And there is no mention of the ending of the world.
0: Well, and the belief system is very cyclical in that
2: sense. Mm -hmm. If I
0: have bad karma this time around, maybe next time I'll come back. It'll be better. I'll be
2: different. And the cycle goes over and over and over again. That sets up a tremendous sense of hopelessness, I would think. You're right. And somehow they wanted to come out of that cycle and they have no way out. And Jesus comes and tells that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is where, you know, the cycle is broken. Mm -hmm. In other words, they are delivered from the cyclic. And now I talk about the beginning, and you have an eternal.
0: We'll take a brief time out in this juncture in the conversation. We'll come back to more of our look at what God is doing in India today. Our conversation with Pastor Sam from Mission India continues in just a moment here on this edition of Lifeline.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: And welcome back to The Conversation. We continue our visit today in studio with Pastor Sam. He is here on a brief uh, visit on behalf of Mission India. As we pick up the conversation, we can say, okay, I live my life. I raise my family. I serve my God who died for me. Mm-hmm. And then I go on to a permanent, eternal, and never ending not cycle of frustration and hopelessness but of reward entering into the temple of all temples You're right. in very heaven itself with mm-hmm. very God himself I mean, once that message is articulated it's shared and explained is it any wonder that that the average Indian the average Hindu would say finally now I see
2: that actually allows them to think you know um, a lot thought of thought process begins you know because they've been doing something for years together Mm -hmm. and suddenly you know somebody comes and tells that you know this is what is available here Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what exactly they're looking for for years together where do I get this internal peace where do I get that nirvana a kind of an Mm -hmm. eternal abode Yes, you know and you know I come and say you know this is what this is happens with the the life death and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ.
0: You talked earlier, Pastor Samuel, about the idea that there is a sense of some of the the old mainline denominational churches that are kind of cloistered. They're kind of behind the walls of the compound, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I think there are some strong comparisons with even the church in America, as much as we've traditionally, historically had a passion for moving beyond Judea into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We're still very self-focused on our programs and the numbers of people in the building project and what's the revenue look like this month and things of this sort, and and yet I'm wondering, clearly the message is going beyond the compound that there are churches and evangelists and pastors like yourself engaged in a movement of the Holy Spirit where either because of the efforts or sometimes in spite of the efforts of the church— mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit of God is doing something phenomenal in India today, even with some of the stagnation, as you, as you suggest. We are still seeing one of the fastest-growing populations of the body of Christ in the continent of India today than anywhere else in the world. What do you attribute that to?
2: Uh, what, what does it imply, you know, uh, which means that God is at work? On a, okay, and uh, secondly, you know, the doors are wide opened. And the Word of God says the harvest is plentiful and labors are few. Now, what we need in, in our country today is the laborers who are willing to go. Laborers who are willing to work hard in the, in, in the field of God. Mission India is an organization, you know, had been working in India for almost 30 years now. And um, they have developed a program that would really take the Great Commission into the unreached places, the end places in our country for the last 30, almost three decades. For example, literacy. India, as you rightly mentioned right in the beginning, that, you know, people talk about Silicon Valley, fully populated with Indians. You know, if you pick 10 uh, most influential people or the richest people in the world there will be at least two Indian names or three Indian names there and we praise God for all that but that's not the India you know it's, it's a country with a paradoxes. 69% of rural Indian women cannot read and write their own language wow. and India is supposed to be one of the most illiterate nation in the world as for the survey is concerned. So you have extremely intellectual, but at the same time, there are quite a big number of illiterates.
0: That, of course, makes the mission before the church a bit more challenging in the sense that, obviously, it complicates discipleship. If you lead someone to Christ, most naturally now want to teach them more about the Jesus whom they are following. What better vehicle but by God's word? And yet, if they're illiterate, that sets up a stumbling block. So there's more work that has to be done. There's a bigger challenge perhaps at some levels that the Indian church is facing as contrasted to a church in the first world, you know, maybe in North America or wherever the case might be. But yet God is still, even with all of those barriers, doing some phenomenal work there.
2: Phenomenal uh, things because uh, the the Indians, uh, provided we give them the truth in love, they're already religious. We don't need to create a kind of a religious attitude in their life. They're already religious. As you also mentioned, you know, that soil is actually prepared soil.
0: If we can change or exchange, rather, the religion and the religiosity for relationship, Mm -hmm. that also helps us to get a glimpse as to why we see such a tremendous sense of passion. You're right. I've attended Indian churches and seen preachers that, my goodness, just so on fire and full of God's Mm Word— We see the sense of the sacrifice that people within the Indian church are willing to make, the kind of persecution, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. that they are subjected to. We know especially in in parts of the north along the border with Pakistan and areas where there's a stronger Islamic influence, It's not uncommon to hear stories of churches that are literally burned down to the ground, pastors that have been kidnapped and and beaten and left for death. I mean, these kinds of stories that almost is reflective of the book of Acts' early church, that level of persecution taking place in India today, but alongside it, too, a movement of the Holy Spirit and growth of the church— in spite of the fact that there's not Christian radio, there's not a lot of literacy, things of this sort, many of the, the trappings that we think of in the Western world that are necessary for evangelism, mm-hmm. we see wholly absent from India, and yet in spite of that, God, by the very power of His Holy Spirit, moving and working amongst His people. So while we see Book of Acts-style persecution going on, we also see Book of Acts-style growth, don't we? Multiplication is happening.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, in India, like, uh, persecution is the sign of the church growth, not only in India. I think if you uh, go through the the history, I mean, from the first century till today.
0: Oh, Almost anywhere. Well, if you anywhere, show me a place you know, on planet Earth where the church is being persecuted for its faith, pastors are being arrested, evangelists are being jailed, yeah. almost without exception, I'll show you a place where the church is growing by absolutely unfathomable numbers, but Mm -hmm. not just numerically, but also there's a spiritual depth uh, that is absolutely almost uh, without comparison. Mm -hmm. There's a love and passion for God and His Word and a relationship with Him. And again, I don't mean to suggest that this is demeaning of Western styles of Christianity, but if you are a Christian in India, you've counted the cost you're right. Haven't you? It demands. It demands that there be a price paid. Yes. And yet we know that the rewards are <laughs> in store literally for us. You know, out of this world.
2: Yeah. Uh, and so the church is willing to pay that price. That, that's willing. You know, right now, one of our partners who works with us in the southern part of India, um, the last uh, one month, he's receiving a lot of threats from uh, anti-Christian elements. Mm-hmm. And these could be... Muslim in origin, they could be
0: Hindu in origin.
2: Yes. They could be anybody, but you know, kind of an anti-Christian. Sure. They don't want to see church existing in that part of uh, um, the uh, country. And uh, they threatened him a number of times. And you know, they also gave him ultimatum saying that, you know, by so-and-so time, if you, I mean, clear this place, we will be Killing you off, and mm. you know, for last a uh, couple of fortnights, he's literally hiding away from those places. Mm. But his wife gathered strength, courage, and she visited the area, you know, uh, last week just to see how his hard uh, church or uh, their church members are doing. Are they also threatened? Are they intimidated continuously by these people? So. The opposition, threatenings, animosity, prejudice, and all that, you know, are a day-to-day. I mean, like, it's kind of an everyday affair. If you really want to be a good Christian and, you know, uh, uh, magnify Christ through your life.
0: We'll take a brief time out in this juncture in the conversation. We'll come back to more of our look at what God is doing in India today. Our conversation with Pastor Sam from Mission India continues In just a moment, here on this edition of Lifeline.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: And welcome back to the conversation. We continue our visit today in studio with Pastor Sam. He is here on a brief uh, visit on behalf of Mission India. We mentioned at the start of our conversation today, Pastor Sam, about the phenomenal economic growth that Mm -hmm. India has been experiencing. And and perhaps only second to China are we seeing uh, just spurts of economic growth that are... uh, absolutely unfathomable, certainly comparison to any other part of the world with the current economic challenges globally yep. that we've been seeing since the economic meltdown of 2008. Has this complicated any of the outreach for the church? In other words, are you seeing Western style materialism coming in that now is complicating the
2: message of the necessity for a relationship with Christ? Um, when uh, 2008, you know, when the financial situation gone into volatile um, situation like uh, some of the organizations which are exclusively dependent on the western funding and you know things like that I was told that you know they have almost come to a close there are two different kinds of ministry happens in India one is a program oriented one is a soul winning oriented. Anything that is program oriented, you know, once you know, the fund flow stops, they stop. But soul winning goes on and on. And, and uh, this may come as no surprise to you, but it's
0: very much the same way here in North America as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And you also find the one that tends to be more program oriented. Okay is much like the seed sown in the rocky soil. It may flourish for a slight season, or you may see what you think is growth that actually turns out to be a weed. And then the minute a test of a life storm comes along, it's quickly washed out to sea and bears forth no fruit at all. And yet the one that is focused on soul winning Mm -hmm. and discipleship and sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting God's word, uh, those are the ministries that not only are planted in fertile soil they not only survive but they thrive in the that's end right. you're right what do you think um, is the biggest
2: challenge facing india today um there are three uh important issues actually number 1 is illiteracy as i mentioned you know that's a, uh, the greatest need in our country today you know um, because of uh, literacy illiteracy you have uh, poverty because of poverty, there is a spiritual darkness prevailing. And they're all interconnected. If the Indian rural women or men are educated or make a shift from illiterates to literates, there is a possibility of a social transformation, spiritual transformation and also economical transformation happening. Women are treated uh, as a substandard human being. Even as we've seen,
0: certainly not all of the caste system disappear, but it certainly has changed very dramatically over the last Uh, few decades.
2: Caste system is still existing in some uh, villages, most of the villages in India. Um, You know, uh, but Again, the education, you know. It's changing that, things. That, yeah. But changed. you're still
0: noticing s- extreme degrees of challenges for women.
2: Women, you know, mm-hmm. there uh, a lot of atrocities are happening to them uh, in the name of dowry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the biggest uh, social evil, you know. The government of India has banned the dowry system in 1961. They made a law against it. But even then, despite of all that, you still hear about uh, the dowry deaths almost every day in some part of country. One of the stories that we are mentioning about, you know, um, you know, who has gone through that agony. There are so many people of that, you know, uh, uh, classification. And uh, some of the Indian women cannot really speak out their pain, speak out their agony. Number one, because they're not educated. Number two, they're not earning members. Number three, the cultural barrier is there. And it's interesting, this,
0: this this pull that's going on in Indian society today then, because you think of the struggle that women are facing, and yet the influence of so much wealth, because largely of the way the world economy has changed... And, the, the, the creation of the so-called Silicon Valley of India. Mm-hmm. And then you see the influence of, of, of just pure outright secularism through things like so-called Bollywood. Uh, I, I've seen some of the films, and I think, you know, with the exception of maybe some of the dresses that are worn and the music, you would think that these productions are coming out of Universal or Paramount <laughs> in right. yeah. Hollywood, California, and not in, in New Delhi. So it's interesting the way there's there's a pull for the attention yes. of India in so many ways, and at the same time that we see an increase in wealth, and yet not a major shift yet in terms of opportunities or treatment of respect for women, huge degrees of hunger for spirituality, explosive growth of the church, and yet some aspects of the more mainline denominational church— still kind of behind the compound wall yes. it's it's yeah. in the, today in many respects then economically spiritually remains this this very mysterious convoluted yeah. gathering of of comparisons and contractions at so many different levels it's fascinating
2: i think this is a high time that you know these uh, compound centered the mainland denominations has to think beyond the box come out more vigor, more passion towards the Great Commission. And uh, when that happens, you know, the emerging churches and, you know, the other uh, communities, you know, who, who are involved in a kind of uh, evangelization of the unreached peoples in our country, um, when that happens, we will be able to see that, you know, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess known that Jesus is the true living God.
0: Take a moment, if you would, Pastor Sam, and share a bit of your passion with our listeners. If you could have the opportunity to have a chance behind the pulpit at a church here in the Bay Area on a Sunday morning to share what you would think would be the, the the biggest issue on your heart, the message that you would like to share with the church in America about the church in India, what would that be? What would, what would that passion or concern or observation
2: be? My passion and my uh, concern uh, as for the Indian church is concerned today is that they need to come back to Great Commission. As you rightly mentioned, I think, couple of times in your uh, um, deliberations that you know uh, the acts of apostles has to be repeated it's repeated actually only thing the mainline church has to realize it you know we cannot just keep quiet when things are happening around we cannot be insensitive you know to you know uh, the things that are happening around that becomes foolishness and when we become uh, uh, when we are able to realize the prompting voice of the Holy Spirit that this is the time God is at work in India I think we have to move forward because there may be a day when the doors will be closed
3: mm-hmm.
2: there may be a day when things will get much harder but now they are wide open, and people are responding more uh, rapidly than ever before. And the Church of God back in India, mainly the, the denominational churches had to realize that this is not the compound that we think about now. It's beyond
0: that. There is ultimately a message here for the church in America too. As Pastor Sam articulates, there is a window of opportunity right now where there is a tremendous sense of of hunger and desire and openness to the gospel, even as we see the push of materialism bearing down upon India in, in so many ways, yet utter degrees of poverty at the same time. And yet the biggest challenge that India faces is no different than the challenge we face here in America or anywhere on planet Earth. And that is a poverty of the heart and a poverty of the soul, the malnutrition that we experience because we do not know Him, we do not serve Him, or if we know Him, we serve Him only within the confines of the compound. And I think as Pastor Sam is suggesting, it's time to throw open wide the door and understand the need to respond to opportunities to share the gospel and to stand shoulder-to-shoulder with the Church in India, just as we've stood shoulder-to-shoulder with each other inside the compound, to now do that outside the compound, to to engage in that appreciation for what it means to not just to have a heartbeat and a passion for Judea, but then understand that the Great Commission didn't end there. It began there, as we are then mandated to move from Judea to Samaria and to India— and the uttermost parts of the earth. If you'd like to find out more information about the work of Pastor Sam and the amazing things that God is doing throughout the entire continent of India, let me direct you toward Mission India's website. It's an easy one to remember. That's missionindia.org, missionindia.org. If something you've heard in today's conversation with Pastor Sam has really touched your heart, and you'd like to see and explore ways in which you and or your church congregation can stand shoulder to shoulder with people like Pastor Sam and the work that God is doing in the continent of India today, why don't you consider reaching out to Mission India? They've got a speakers bureau that could happily provide someone to come to your church and share more of not just the amazing things that God is doing in India today, but the amazing opportunity that the Lord and responsibility places before us today to be engaged in, again, sharing of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, it isn't how hard we work to try to reach up to God. It's the understanding that God came down that will change the world. More information, again, on the web at missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org o-r-g. And Pastor Sam, we so much appreciate you taking some time uh, out of your travel schedule to be with us here. A welcome again to America. And we're going to be praying for you and your ministry there. Uh, Godspeed and keep up the good work.
2: Thank you. Pleasure. And
1: now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: You heard on the program news that lawmakers here in California are considering changes to some 34 statutes by, quote, redefining the definition of gender to also include a Person's gender expression, close quote. Uh, this on the heels of word that a district here in California, school district, um, would allow children, boys and girls, to identify as boys, girls, or undecided. Now, <laughs> you talk about uh, creating confusion amongst kids at a time with anything. Uh, was needed, we need better clarification, better understanding. Some would argue that what's happened here is instead of emancipating a man to be the kind of men uh, that that God has called them to be, to be the kind of fathers that God has called them to be, the kind of husbands that God has called them to be, instead our modern culture is emasculating them. We take a look at some insights on this topic. Don Otis joins us on the program. Of course, he's a well-known best-selling author, many, many years involved in High Adventure Ministries, which his dad founded uh, there, broadcasting uh, Christian programming, both radio and television, uh, literally to the totality of the Middle East. Don joins us to talk about his new book, Whisker Rubs, Developing the Masculine Identity. And Don, is always great to have you on the show.
3: Greg, it's always good to be on with you. You've been doing this for a few years, haven't you? A,
0: a day or two now. Yeah, I think we're going to turn a corner into about twenty. It'll be twenty-three years this November wow. if they'll tolerate me that long.
3: That's a that's well, wow, that's a long time. And you're a multitasker, I think, because I think you have some technical skills. Uh, too, if I remember correctly, one
0: or two. You got a, You got a good memory. Hey, Don, let's talk about this topic. One that I, you know, I ought to capture the attention of of not just guys in the audience, but women too. You know, it's funny, you talk to some of the, the single gals around the office, and they say, gee, if men would only be men, boy, how come we just can't find guys these days that understand <laughs> and appreciate what it means to be a responsible man, an accountable man, a man that loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, lives like it, acts like it, and, uh, and understands what being a man's man is.
3: You know, I, I, I mentioned Maureen Dowd's book, Are Men Necessary?, <laughs> uh, when Sexes Collide, and, and Peggy Drexler's book, Raising Boys Without Men, I think, you know, during the World War II generation, when many men were, were fighting and, and giving their lives on the beaches of, uh, of France, uh, nobody was asking, are men necessary? They were saying, thank God for men. Thank God that they're, they're stepping up. Now, what we do in popular culture, in, in the media, certainly on sitcoms, is we just deride men. We, we tear them down. And then we expect them to be protectors and providers for us. And I'm thinking, you know, you can't have it both ways. You either have to accept the, the, the benefits of a man who's masculine, or you, or you, uh, you continue to tear him down and, and uh, make him into something that God certainly never intended him to be. Uh, you certainly live in an area, and I worked with Exodus International for five years, uh, doing public relations for them when they were there in San Rafael. And this is an organization that that deals with gender issues. It deals with the struggle that many men feel um, in our culture. And and we think because of the no-fault divorce laws back in the early 70s that that's had no impact whatsoever on how men men identify themselves. I mean, it's had an enormous sociological uh, impact on our culture. Well, and 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 so often, you know— Women, single-parent families where women are the predominant— Raising boys, and they don't know what what it means to ma- to be masculine. These kids grow up, and they're confused.
0: You know, and sadly, Don, the, the so-called feminist movement that that saw its birth with things like the Equal to Rights Amendment in the 1970s. Mm. You know, as much as it was paraded as 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 creating a, an atmosphere in which women can capture rights and be treated more fairly, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but instead of becoming the great equalizer, there are some levels where it's ended up. Uh, literally, at least in my observation, uh, emasculating a lot of men, because now all of a sudden, well, we don't have to be responsible. We're not held to be accountable. We don't have to be fathers to our children. We don't have to be husbands to our wives. If it's, uh, you know, too inconvenient, we'll run out and get a divorce or let the television set raise our sons.
3: Well, and and I hate to say this because it's going to come off sounding wrong, but the reality is that the the black community has seen this happen and what, what what you find is, is a, a huge percentage of, of black children who are born without the benefit of a father. What we're saying is a culture is hey we'll give you we'll give you free government services, and and we'll become the father for you because we realize that um, somebody's got to step to the plate and do it instead of saying hey look fathers have to become responsible for their own families and and step to the plate. And, and, and be there for their kids, be there for their wives. I say this in the book, that it's that God's mandate for, for men, for masculine, gender, male, is to be protectors and providers. You can't be a protector and be a wimp. You just can't do it. And if you, if you emasculate a man, then he's not going to be a very good uh, protector. So <clears throat> that's kind of what we're doing in our culture, is we've taken away... Um, men's ability uh, certainly within the church as well uh, and we look at God and we look at all of the feminine uh, gender qualities and attributes of God his love his mercy his kindness his grace all of which are true about God but we forget about some of those other uh, attributes of who God is his power his strength his might his his jealousy his judgment his righteousness those are kind of more masculine qualities and 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 uh, so, what we do is we pick and we choose both you know our perspective of God as well as our perspective of of the way dads ought to be in our culture
0: and how interesting it is to know that, as much as we've seen this trend you know recently in 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 years uh on an increasing basis here this move toward encouraging men to find you know their feminine side their gentle side the softer side et cetera et cetera. Uh, And and in that process, I think they have completely abandoned some of the more traditional roles of, of, of the guy as the protector, the leader, the provider, the defender of wife and family and all the responsibilities as God designed a man to have. We've completely let these guys, in a sense, sort of off the hook as they're out to explore their feminine side. And in the end, no one is picking up the baton here, are they?
3: And and I'm not against against, uh, teaching boys to be sensitive. I'm not against men learning to be uh, thoughtful and considerate and and not acting like Neanderthals. Certainly that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, I think, is is men kind of really stepping up and, and being leaders. And I'm not talking about control freaks, but being the leaders that God really has intended them to be. You know, I I think part of the the frustration that I have with what happened with feminism is it was a pendulum swing that probably needed to happen uh, on some level, but it went too far. And so what happened in in the process is that that many men, and this is especially true of Christian men, is they felt like, hey, you know, we can't complain about this. We just have to suck it up and learn to live with it. And so what they did is they, they just sort of, walked away from their responsibilities or they they went into uh, their own little closets emotionally speaking and, and stopped communicating because they didn't know what to do they didn't know how to ex- express what they felt because they'd be called wimps and whiners and sissies and that's not what men want to feel like so you know by sending that pendulum swing all the way, all the way in the other direction you know we have become something that I don't think God ever intended and uh, that's part of the way our, our culture's gone. Now we're looking at far more – and here's the trend, Craig, that, that, that I'm seeing. Twenty years from now, probably ten years from now is more realistic, and even you can look at what's happening in the GOP debates last night with Sarah Palin and the new Minnesota governor, and, and you can see how women are, are earning, on average, uh, 25% more degrees, uh, bachelor's degrees, than, than men are. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great, but what's going to happen is we're going to see that there's going to be a lot more positions where women are in leadership, CEOs of corporations uh, taking over in the military, taking over in politics and the government and the judicial system. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong or that's bad or that the pendulum swing has not been necessary on on some level, but men are really falling behind right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with, with the way that they feel like they've been treated since the early 70s.
0: And let's be clear in making the distinction here, Don. We're not talking about teaching men how to, you know, engage in bath humor amongst the boys and, you know, learn how to crush empty aluminum cans on their forehead, things of this sort. It's not teaching men to be the Neanderthals, but rather teaching men to be more responsible, more accountable for their actions and roles and duties and responsibilities as husband, as father, as leader, etc. We'll take a time out. Our conversation with best-selling author Don Otis continues from KFAX.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Back tonight with best-selling author Don Otis. We're talking about uh, men. We're talking about the need to develop The masculine identity for men, again, this is not some kind of a crazy goofball over-the-top macho thing uh, where guys engage in bathroom humor all day long and, and, uh, you know, crush uh, aluminum cans on their forehead. Rather, teaching men to be better husbands and better fathers um, and, and to do so in a godly fashion, Um, in a day and an age when we're seeing, as we mentioned before, Don, so many aspects of our society that instead of of calling men to become accountable and to be responsible for their actions, to be men's men and responsible as such, uh, you know, here we are, you know, we're giving kids an option. You can be boys, you can be girls, you can be undecided. I never thought that that was physically possible as an option for children, but apparently some people in the schools districts here in California have figured all of that out, and meanwhile, with fathers and husbands lampooned In popular culture, look at some of the shows that run on Fox, for example, Sunday Nights. Is it any wonder that guys are getting the the impression, boys are getting the impression, they don't really need to be accountable for any of their actions to anyone?
3: You know, and and you're you're hitting a number of really important uh, uh, issues here, but I think the bottom line is that we, we need to embrace the fact that there are differences, and those differences are okay. So it's okay, for example, if a little boy in school is a little rambunctious. Uh, we don't have to give him Ritalin, and 90% of the Ritalin drugs in our public education system go to little boys. <clears throat> that's just uh, that's just trying to tame the maleness out of him. That's my perspective. Or in some cases, they're just uh, blowing out because things aren't working for him at home. <clears throat> but I think culturally, you know, I, I, I did an interview years ago with Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, who's the guy who... Uh, coined the term reparative therapy. this is for gays and lesbians who want to come out of a gay or lesbian lifestyle, but he said one hundred percent of the men that he works with uh, have had uh, bad relationships with their dads we 're talking about the responsibility and the roles of fathers in the lives of their children and in most cases in his in, in nicolosi 's perspective, one hundred percent of the time. Uh, a father can have uh, uh, the effect of, of keeping his kids from going into a, a, a gay lifestyle. That's just <clears throat> that's not my opinion. That's just something that, that, that he, he found in, in years' worth of therapeutic work. Um, it says that the role of the father is significant. You go into our, our prison systems, and I live in a, in a county where <clears throat> the uh, Fremont County, Colorado, where the state and the federal supermax prisons are here. There's 14 state and federal penitentiaries and regional penitentiaries in this area. Uh, Many of the men that are in these facilities uh, are in there because they haven't had the, the, the gentle control and love and appreciation that a father brings to the life of his son. And I think that's what we're desperately missing. And I think we want to believe and I, you know, and I, in saying this, Craig, what I'm going to say is going to, is not going to come off well for a lot of people listening. But, but the reality is, God never intended that either uh, a single dad raise uh, a, a daughter or that a single mom raise a son. There's many single parents out there that are doing the best job they know how to do, and for the most part, uh, they're do- they're doing it uh, as unto the Lord and, and and struggling to find their way and, and understand how to. Uh, impart masculine concepts to their to their uh, you know adolescent sons, but the reality is that's not the way God intended it to be. It's very difficult to say, hey, we'll we'll put them in Scouts or we'll put them in a sports team. Really, that's not it's not. The panacea for solving a lot of the problems that we have in our culture.
0: Well, and clearly we're seeing that because of the delinquency rate, the divorce rate. We're looking at, you know, skyrocketing numbers of people that are getting caught, first time offenses, and then once they get into the system, the rate of recidivism is absolutely off the charts. Absolutely. We can't build these prisons fast enough, and then you sit down typically with most of these offenders, <laughs> first time or multiple time out, start probing into their childhood and find out, well, yeah, my mother had I got four different siblings from three different fathers. That's exactly right. And, you know, there was never any father present in the household. And so these kids just learned that, you know, being a macho guy was going out with a gun and, you know, uh, getting involved in, 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 uh, you know, the temptation games within gangs and so forth in order to to qualify for gang membership. And that, to them, is the only uh, male role modeling, Don. They've ever exposed exposed to. You're,
3: you're exactly right, and, and and you know if it was any other issue within our culture, and we look at the we look at the child abu- abuse rate, we look at the uh, poverty rate, we look at precocious sexual activity rate, we look at failure in the school system, we look at uh, incarceration rates. All of those things are directly related to the lack of having a father in the household. That's an amazing a series of statistics we're ignoring it and we're ignoring it because we don't want to believe it we want to believe that hey we can do whatever we want we can define family in any way that we want to define it and it's okay in fact as you said at the beginning of the program we can define what gender is i mean i, I looked at Chaz bono for example on a Piers morgan show a couple of weeks ago and i thought are you kidding me i mean how does this work for you You know, first you think you're a lesbian, then you're not sure, then you're confused, and now you've got a girlfriend. I mean, seriously, this has gone beyond a point of of making any sense whatsoever in our society. And if we think it has no impact, gender identity confusion is a huge issue. And fathers play a significant role in the lives of their kids and helping them grow up to be healthy, normal adults.
0: And of course, ironically, anytime you talk to a single mom, she will always tell you, "You know, if if my husband would only have been a father to my children." And, and therein lies the challenge. A good look at Whisker Rubs, the new book written by my guest today, Don Notice a Look at developing the masculine identity. The new book, by the way, which is published by Living Inc., available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. And uh, as always, Don, we appreciate the time.